Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory, and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated. But more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And this week, I would like to give a special thanks out to Malawi Mike, who says, Must listen for Peace Corps types. Five stars. This podcast is one of the most, if not the most, authentic and accessible sources of information available on Peace Corps service. This podcast is not only an archive of Peace Corps ecosystem experiences, but a rich reservoir of information about what to expect from Peace Corps service. The podcast serves as an independent voice that challenges and questions, to some extent, the way the Peace Corps experience is marketed by the agency, commodified by copycat organizations, and depicted in popular culture. Bravo! Malawi Mike, thank you for the review. On this week's episode, I have something very special for you guys, an interview that I'm extremely excited about. I interview not only an RPCV, not only a former board member and head of the board of the National Peace Corps Association, but also a former director of Peace Corps. Without further ado, here is the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Ronald Cheddar, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Ron, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing pretty well and excited to uh, do this interview. We met earlier this year while walking the halls of Congress uh, on behalf of, of Peace Corps, the National Peace Corps Association, advocating for increased funding, among many other things for Peace Corps. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be placed in the group with you uh, and, and talk to someone who has been a part of Peace Corps for many, many years, starting with your service, then working with the National yeah. Peace Corps Association, and then actually serving as the administrator of Peace Corps. So thank you for taking time to, to talk with me. Yeah, uh, you're very welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I never get tired of sharing my uh, experiences and feelings and thoughts and all of that uh, regarding the Peace Corps and my Peace Corps experience in particular. Well, excellent. That that excites me because that is what I love as well. Now, let's start off by letting everybody know about your Peace Corps service. Uh, where did you originally serve as, as a volunteer, and what were you doing? Yes, uh, we, uh, I will use the word we because my wife and I um, uh, were married when we went in, and we're still married. <laughs> so uh, that was 50-some years ago. Um, we were both uh, newly married and uh, in careers. I was an educator and she was a social worker. And uh, one night we uh, saw this ad on TV about the toughest job you'll ever love. And it really looked intriguing. So we decided, you know what, we can do this work thing forever. So let's uh, have an ex international experience where we can hopefully do some good and bring some value and also have an opportunity to um, really learn about other parts of the world in a very in-depth way. And so that's how it all started. Um, we went through the application process, which back then is very different than what volunteers, uh, are pre uh, new volunteers have to go through. And uh, it was cumbersome, but we got through it uh, and um sent our applications in not knowing if we'd ever hear and it wasn't 30 days later 45 days later where we got a letter um, inviting us to be candidates to be volunteers that's how it was worded at that time uh, in India and uh, they weren't real clear on what the job would be at that very point in time we did not unbeknownst to us 
at that very part, uh, point in time, the the, in, the Peace Corps, and especially the Peace Corps India, was in a very, very aggressive growth uh, uh, project. There were um, many, many volunteers in India already, and plane loads literally were going over. Uh, we were went on an Air India charter, and it was a Boeing 707, which I don't know, I think it seats, what, 175 or 200. And um, it was all Peace Corps volunteers, the whole boat, uh, plane. And I think there were three or four different groups in, on that particular airplane. So um, it was all new to us, all exciting. And we were willing to go anywhere and uh, do anything, quite frankly. But we uh, were actually asked to be community health uh, volunteers, helping improve the health environment in the various villages. And so that's what we uh, went to do. And that's what our training was all about uh, at the University of Chicago. Wow. That's just amazing to think that you guys filled a, a an entire plane. I remember my, my group, yeah. we were maybe three rows <laughs> of a plane. Uh, and uh-huh. just that, to thinking of how many volunteers were going over just at one time, not counting the yep. volunteers yep. that were already there. Uh, yeah. Was yeah. was was India your first choice when you were applying? Did you think, okay, we want to go to India, or where did you imagine yeah. yourself serving? Back then, there were no choices. Uh, you were basically you applied to be a volunteer. There was a question, as I recall, which said, you know, if you were to choose a country, what would be your um, three choices? And we put down Turkey, Iran, or Afghanistan. And the reason we put those countries down is we wanted a completely different cultural experience along with uh, the work project and so on. So uh, that's what we wanted. And when we got the letter for India, we were at first kind of old no, but it didn't take us long um, to get really excited about it because there's probably no country in the world that provides uh, numerous different cultural experiences that you experience, even in a single village much less in the whole country. So it, it, it fit our one of our goals uh, perfectly after we did our homework. And um, uh, we just couldn't have been more excited about getting going when after we got all that dust settled, if you will, regarding our experience uh, in India. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that you did your, your training at the University of Chicago I don't. I don't know if a lot of current volunteers or people interested in the Peace Corps realize that Peace Corps training, like it is now, where it is, you know, in your host country, a lot of times at a at a training center or training villages, uh, used to be mm-hmm. in in the U.S. right for several months before yes. before going over. Yes, it was contracted to various universities, and uh, quite frankly, at that time. Uh, our first letter said we were going to the University of North Carolina, and then we were going to um, some some place up in Maine, and then we were going to, finally they <laughs> said the University of Chicago. So the, the scene was changing as they were putting these groups together, and these universities uh, contract, uh, and they're chosen by their um, wisdom and skill in particular health uh, areas or whatever the private ag- agricultural areas or whatever the uh, projects were. And um, there happened to be a a growth, uh, family planning was a big part of our project. So uh, the University of Chicago happened to have some expertise in demographics and uh, all of those kinds of things. And so that was part of the reason we were there. The other reason is, uh, in this case, they were going to teach us Marathi, the language of Maharashtra state of India. And there were plenty of Marathi-speaking wives of the University of Chicago and other universities in the Chicago area. Uh, so they had a, quite a quite a team of uh, teachers of Marathi that worked with us literally every day of our three months of training. And um, uh, also very different than today is uh, when we uh, when our group first arrived there. I think our number of uh, volunteers was something in the neighborhood of 80. But they also had a deselection process uh, that they used uh, because they really were only planning to take, I think it was 50 or 55, something in that area. Uh, 
And so through that three-month training period, there were um, at least two or three different uh, times when the, the volunteer, potential volunteers were, some were asked to leave, some decided they didn't want to do this, you know, all that kind of thing. So it was, uh, by the time they had it all finished, there was uh, 53 or 55 very excited people that were going. And uh, they, from their perspective at that point in time, they had a, you know, a choice group. Uh, today, it's done very much, very differently. And uh, I actually think it's done dramatically better than what it was done back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely couldn't imagine myself personally <laughs> lear, lear, learning the language still in the United States. Yeah. I would I would always yeah. be tempted to default to English. It really makes a difference yeah. when there there is no other option. That's right. The complete difference. And that's the way they taught us. And I would uh, estimate that our 60 to 70 percent of what we did at the University of Chicago was language training. So it was mm-hmm. uh, a, a very, you know, high profile, very important part of what we were all about. And part of the speech selection process is, is the ability to, be, to learn, that lang- learn a language like that. So that was all part of the equation that uh, they were using. Well, I would like to learn uh, a little bit more about your actual service. So you said you were doing yeah. uh, family planning. Did you live in community health? Community health yeah. was really what okay. we were we were doing. Yeah. Okay. And were you stationed at like a local hospital or a training center or paint paint a picture for the day to day work? Yeah. Uh, as a volunteer, yeah, we we were stationed in a in a village, a village that had a, a government uh, clinic, government operated clinic. And um, uh, we worked with the staff of the hospital. There was uh, the equivalent of a social, social, but actually two social workers, a male and a female. And there was a nurse uh, uh, house uh, midwife, I think you called her. And then there was a doctor and uh, a social work group. There was a sanitary inspector. So they were all people attached to that community health center. And that's where we were placed. And one of the people was uh, chosen to kind of um, work with us and nurture us and um, and all of that. He happened to be the sanitary inspector. Uh, so um, he would accompany us to other villages because we were really um, encouraged to, you know, touch the villages around us as well. And so that was uh, part of our work. We worked uh, doing inoculations. Uh, I vividly remember an experience where... Um, they picked us, the, the, we didn't have any vehicle in our village, but at the district center, about 20 miles away, there were a couple and they stopped by, picked up the doctor, the social worker, the sanitary inspector. And then they stopped at the home and picked me up and went to a village. Oh, I think it was like 15, 18 kilometers away. Uh, the second half of the trip was no road, literally. And it was a uh, nomadic village, and it was a, it had a smallpox uh, breakout. So our job was to try to begin a uh, medication, uh, series of medications to some of these people to be able to overcome the disease. It was just an overwhelming experience. Every little hut you went to, there were people laying there, uh, families, literally, uh, fighting smallpox. And so... Uh, those are the kinds of things we did. There was a, a flood at one time, a minor flood, but it uh, led to impure, uh, unpure water. And so we had to do some sanitization work and just a series of things like that. Family planning was all an educational thing um, where we would like set a booth up at a fair, community fair, uh, to uh, encourage people to have a smaller family and you know that kind of thing. So that was our work, and uh, it was um, it was just awesome, just awesome to be ingrained at a very uh, uh, get grassroots level. I lived in the village with them, um, in a mud mud formed house. It was not bad. Um, ironically, the ground floor was concrete or uh, laid stones, very very clean, very nice. The up, <laughs> upstairs bed upstairs bedroom was dirt floor <laughs> you'd think the other way around but it wasn't uh but it was a it was a fun place to live and a fun place to interact with people socially as well as dealing with whatever the needs they might have 
And um, that was a, once you got into the routine of the community, it was really uh, a lot of fun, quite frankly, along with building friendships and relationships that are lifelong. Mm-hmm. So that's a taste of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 thank you for that. And a- as you think back to your service, uh, do you have a, a memory or it's a, a cultural memory of an experience that really stands out to you, that like a story that you just enjoy telling? Um, there are many, um, but but I, I give you one overview of a series of events. Um, being you know uh, out, uh, not from there, uh, the the rank or caste system, uh, as it what at one time was called, um, it still existed, and uh, depending on the caste you were from, would depend on who would be invited to the wedding and all that kind of thing. And so we were neutral, and so we were invited to all the weddings. And we went to as many as possible because it was just a tremendously rich cultural experience to um, participate and be a part of of the marriage of a uh, relatively young couple, usually. And, you know, it depended on the economics of the family. Uh, They were of the higher rank and had, uh, you know, owned lands and all that kind of thing. It was a very plush event, even at the village level. And otherwise, it may be just a very, very sparse uh, event, but it's still a meaningful event. And then uh, we had an interesting um, mix of uh, people. We had, uh, you know, the majority were Indian, um, Hindu, uh, one caste or another. But we had quite a number of Muslims living in our village uh, because of the historical area that we were working in. And so we got, you know, to go to those weddings and participate in those um, social events as well. And uh, so it really was a rich experience for us to experience literally dozens of different um, cultural uh, values and and practices and so on, just in in, in the marriage part of it. So I think that would be one of the richest experience, series of experiences that we were able to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I fondly remember all the weddings that I attended and just the, the celebration, the sights, sounds, the food, music, mm-hmm. dancing. Uh, yep. de- definitely, that, that is a, a surefire way to really get to know a culture and taste a cultural experience unlike any other, to be able to go to a, a, a wedding. Exactly. 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 And, uh, you know, unless you experience it, it's sometimes it's quite difficult to um explain, you know, the, the subtle differences and, and the numerous other differences that take place in these kinds of events. Uh, a lot of it, the, the food part is very much a part of that cultural um, status as well. So it, that, that part is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. My, one of the things that happened uh, several times is um, uh, the men and the women uh, in, in some of these cultures, several of these cultures, uh, um, never eat the same time. And so I would be always chosen to eat with the first group of men. And Nancy had to wait till all the men were done. And then she'd probably eat with the first group of women. And so uh, we chuckled a lot about that. But that's the way they did it. And it was interesting to experience it. Mm-hmm. I bet. And yeah, what did you, you take away from your Peace Corps experience? I mean, you took away a lot because Peace Corps... Really, yeah. it, it seems like it forever changed you. You went on to do so many other things related to Peace Corps. Yeah. But were there any lessons uh, that that you learned that have shaped the, the rest of your life? Well, uh, yes. Um, it just First of all, it changes your whole value system. Uh, you're living at a completely different economic level. And the hard, things that we consider hardship here are, you know, many of them aren't even existent there. The hardship level is at a much different level. And so you, you really come home with a deep, deep appreciation for uh, what you have and how you're able to live in America. And um, so that's, I think that's just, you know, is, is built in you, into you for the rest of your life uh, from that experience. So that's really a big one. And then, um, the friendships and the relationships. I mean, we still have friendships. So we've been back five times 
and uh, we visit with, you know, basically we go to the villages and the towns where these friends are, and that's what we do now when we go. And uh, we're kind of do one of these days too. So uh, all of that, you you you, uh, you have a very different understanding about, let's say, agriculture. And at that time, you know, it was very different than it probably even is today. But, uh, you know, everything was done by uh, maybe a buffalo and a stick in the ground or, you know, just a very, very basic way. Uh, some of the things that you read about and learn about in geography and history here in America that was done in the early 1800s, even before machines were available. So that was what we were experiencing and the way they would thresh the wheat, uh, you know, by putting it on a pile or laying it on a, a blanket or something and having animals walk over it in a circle until, you know, husks all wheat out and then they pour it, you know, through a breeze to blow away the shaft. I mean, <laughs> that's biblical time uh, practices. And they were still doing this in 1966. Um, the way you would irrigate, uh, they had a bull, uh, buffalo, and they had a leather bag made from hide uh, that was t- uh, tied to a long rope on a pulley. That bag would go down into the well, the well that with a diameter of probably five or six feet, um, fill with water, and then the buffalo would go forward and t- pull that bag out, and then there was a flapper that dropped, and the water ran into a trough and into the field. Uh, <laughs> The first time we went back, I had some friends with me, traveling with us, and I said, I want to show you how they get, uh, irrigate. Well, <laughs> in that period of time, the first time, our first return was about 10 years after our, our, um, uh, after our departure. Uh, electricity had been, had been developed more thoroughly in the village, and those wells now had pumps with electric motors and <laughs> no more oxygen. Uh, pulling the bag out of the out of the well, uh, so it you know it was in a early early state of change and dramatic state of change. If you went back there today, um, I don't know how we got on that, but you know the experiences are just endless. Uh, and you know every day, uh, as you sit in the little coffee shop, uh, sipping tea with uh, the local people, you learn something new. Uh, I mean, it's just never end. And part of that is if you know the language, at least well enough to get along. And I'd say that's the, the level we were. Um, you know, you can really develop some understanding. Uh, you can actually have some fun and uh, with fr- the friendship. And it just they become real friends, no question about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that you talked a little bit about your your trips back and just seeing how, how it changed. And hopefully that's something that I'm going to be able to do, uh, to, to go back several oh. times to where I served and, and see yeah. the tra- transition of my community. Are there any other ways that you saw that, um, your community has changed over these many years? Well, growth. In fact, it's interesting. I was just looking, um, online. I Googled uh, the state of Maharashtra and I was going to, you know, some of the various, uh, things I thought I knew about Maharashtra and so on. Our village at the time had was supposed supposed to have about 3,000 villagers. And that's a small village. I mean, you wouldn't guess it as 3,000 when you went through it. Our uh, Paluka town, which is like the county seat, uh, about 18 miles away, 18 kilometers away, I think it was, at that time, supposedly they had somewhere between twenty-five and 40,000. They had an agricultural college, and, you know, it was a trade center. Uh, it was the, the center of the government uh, for the state of Maharashtra, for that county, and so on. So the courthouse, I guess the equivalent of the courthouse was there, and so on. It showed me that Parbani, the name of that town, is now 400,000 people. <laughs> and wow. I was just dumbfounded dumbfounded about uh, about that but um so the growth has been you know exponential and more people and it goes on and on but the roads are better i'm told the rails are better uh the old steam engine that we used to have to be tucked down the rail on are long gone they're all diesel or diesel electric now uh so there's been a lot of improvement too 
Mm-hmm. Well, now let's transition away a little bit from your Peace Corps service to what you did after your Peace Corps service. I always like talking to people who have uh, been out of service for many years and just seeing uh, the evolution yeah. of their of their careers. Because as you said, you know, you you told your wife uh, Nancy that you know you guys have uh, a whole lifetime of work ahead of you. Let's go do Peace Corps. Well, now I'm interested yeah, in di- yeah. diving into that that work, and it's interesting that I know that you went into uh, like investment, sort of banking. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty close. <laughs> did well. Now, let me just. Start. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well, I, I no, you go ahead. I'm I'm interested to to hear about that that transition and evolution yeah. and the the interplay of Peace Corps. Yeah. Well, the. Um, exit interviews and the exit conference and all that that uh, we had in India, one of the strongest encouragements uh, or pieces of advice that they gave us was when you get back, go to work, you know, start right away. Don't linger around uh, because a reverse culture shock can be much more taxing, uh, more difficult to deal with than the culture shock that you may have had when you, when you came over here, we didn't have much culture shock, fortunately. Uh, we were ready for anything and everything, and uh, part of that was the really good training we had at the University of Chicago. So I came back, literally got off the airplane uh, on Tuesday morning, the day after Labor Day, and was in the classroom uh, by 8.30 that day. <laughs> so uh, I took this serious. It just happened the way to, to work out that way because of our travel home experience. So. Uh, you know, it wasn't that well planned. Anyhow, uh, so I went back into education right away. But, you know, as I went into that classroom every year, every day, and I, I just felt different to me than it ever did before. And I decided, you know, I think I need to do something with a little more growth potential and um, you know, probably financially have uh, better opportunities um, and so on. So uh, after my f- year of teaching, then uh, I, I contracted for the next year, but I started looking for opportunities and I was always intrigued with the stock market. And in fact, even in India, through uh, Time Magazine, which we generously received for, uh, gratis back then, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, uh, you know, I would read, love reading about the financial part of the Time Magazine and the markets and what's going on and da 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 da. So I had a real intrigue and interest in finance and in the markets. So I decided I'd better become a stockbroker. And so I ultimately did that. And uh, it was, I never looked back. And that was the rest, my whole next group. That was my career for the rest of my working years, 40 or 35 years. Um, and I became a stockbroker, and in that business, it's a, it was a fast, growth, high growth business. And one thing leads to the next, and ultimately, I was a branch manager. That means running an office, uh, but you would do that and still have a book of business that you work with. And then I became the regional manager, and just kind of my career just kind of kept evolving. Wasn't on a plan; had nothing in writing. It was just how it worked. And I loved it. Uh, I, I always said when I was working, there is not a day that I felt like I didn't want to go to work. And it, I, that's how much I love my work. And it was very rewarding and uh, uh, very um, uh, a lot of satisfaction in it and helping people with their finances and all pieces that go along with that. And uh, so I did it uh, for the rest of my career. Uh, but I always went up this ladder along, you know, not by plan, just by way things evolved from a branch manager to a regional manager to the head of all the retail to president of the company my last 10 years. So that was a career <laughs> that evolved, not not by a master plan, but by a plan. Mm-hmm. All, be, all because you were reading Time Magazine in Peace Corps and interested in the stock market. That, that was probably the biggest impactor right there. Isn't wow. that amazing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you, you, exactly. you never really never really know how things are going to impact you. That's exactly, exactly. And then uh, along that whole, uh, you know, we're talking now about well, thirty five years or so. Um, the Peace Corps was always an important part of our lives, and we gave numerous numerous talks, uh, mostly at schools back in the early early years. 
uh, and, and some other places, but mostly at schools and then rotary clubs. I, I don't know how many rotary clubs I've spoken at even today. Just today, I did it last week. Uh, it just happens on and on and on. But so the Peace Corps was always a really important part of our life that we love to share and talk about. And uh, so, um, somehow, you know, the, the National Peace Corps Association was formulating that was in the eighties that that started happening. And I can't even remember exactly how it worked, but I ended up going to Washington to, to one of the Peace Corps conferences. They were having return Peace Corps volunteer conferences. And um, through that connection, one th- thing leads to the next, I was asked to serve on the National Peace Corps Association board. And, and then I did that. This is now in the 90s. And so I served on that, ended up being chairman of that board for three years. And that was an important, you know, really a fun experience to see, you know, volunteers of our era, and the many eras after that that were now return volunteers. And you would help, you'd advise people. It was just a very fun experience to bring the world back home. And be a part of that in you know through the National Peace Corps Association as well. So that was an important part of uh, my my business career and how I continue to stay uh, contact in contact and touch with the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've tru- so, truly uh, seen the the evolution of the Peace Corps, the ups and downs over you know four plus decades. That, I'd say five plus decades. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct uh, through all of it. Uh, and you know, uh, uh, you know, back in the early '90s, I remember uh, when President Clinton became when he became president, and they were they were picking a new director of the Peace Corps, and I uh, had some input on that uh, because I was really active with the National Peace Corps Association. And Carol Bellamy was uh, chosen, uh, really a, a, a great uh, director. But she moved on rather quickly to uh, being the head of UNICEF, which would be, wow, you know. And then uh, uh, President Clinton's director of communication uh, became a president. And he was a very different style. It was controversial because he had never been a volunteer. Carol Bellamy was the first director that was a volunteer and um uh so i I worked with him a lot Uh, we worked on the strategic plan of the peace corps uh, one time in the mid 90s together and so i stayed connected one way or another you know just by happenstance because i love this so much and and it wasn't a plan i didn't push for that it just happened it just evolved that way and uh, it was just as i look back at my career and my experiences uh the peace corps is woven into every part of what we've done historically mm-hmm. now you spo- now i suppose you want to know how we, how we became director well actually that was that was exactly my next question because it's just so interesting like <laughs> you you see these people you know being being nominated you know for certain roles and mm-hmm. you know, being tapped to be the director of uh, this agency and that agency but how does it actually happen yeah well, I, I'll tell you my story. That's the best I can do. Uh, I had retired, actually, from the financial business in 2001. And uh, then I ended up doing some financial, some consulting with other firms, uh, brokerage firms. Uh, and so I was kind of stayed involved in the periphery. Um, and um, when I was president of our company, uh, we would always go to uh, the big national uh, investing uh, conference, um, and and we were. I was president of a regional firm, and you know the big firms like the Smith Barney's and the, all of those. Um, you know, it was one group, but the regional firm guys were kind of another group, and we became really good friends with a couple from one of the other regional firms, and in that uh, friendship. And we actually traveled with them. I remember we went to Europe with them once, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, The Peace Corps was talked about. And Nancy and I hardly ever have a meal with people that we don't talk about the Peace Corps. And in that that process, uh, they, uh, his wife kind of remembered that. And she uh, was uh, very active in the the Bush campaign. 
and they were having um uh, she, she became uh, the number two person i'm not sure what the title was at small business administration and she was having lunch with the head of white house personnel one day and the head of white house personnel said that they're looking for a new director of the peace corps and this time they definitely want a return volunteer and one that has been a business executive has run a company uh, because that's kind of what it is running an agency, not too dissimilar. And this is a friend of ours said, well, here's the person you ought to call. It was me. Uh, and that was because of our friendship and all the things we did together over probably a decade. And so, uh, she then calls me and says, is it okay if I give your name to the white house? Unbeknownst <laughs> is this, anything was going to come of this. I said, sure. <laughs> And then literally the next week I got a call and went to the, began the interview process. And that's how it all started. Um, I said, sure, because I loved the Peace Corps. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't know, I didn't know any better of how this worked than you do right now, probably, but, mm -hmm. uh, became a part of that. And, um, uh, it was a fun process and the most fun, uh, but important role that I ever had was being director of the Peace Corps uh, in the years 2006 to 2009. Now, what about that, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and, and as director of the Peace Corps, what, yeah. what would you say that your your main role and responsibility is? I mean, you said that they wanted someone that had business experience because running an agency is a lot like a business. Mm -hmm. Uh, what mm -hmm. was your, what was your main focus over those years? Um, the sort of goals yeah. that you, you set out initially, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's very multifaceted. It is like being a business executive. I mean, there's lots of very uh, important things that have to be kept track of and overseen and you know, all of that. So the main part is you got to have a really good team that, you, you know, that, that is competent, trustworthy. And as excited as you are about the agency, uh, that was not a problem. Uh, the, the team was already there when I took over. And, and fortunately, my predecessor had really uh, put together a good team. And I just was able to benefit from that. But, but uh, that's part of the leadership role of, of being a director or a head of a company. Um, you need to give people a lot of um, encouragement and support but also give them the right to make decisions and ma make them without having to come back to you every you know, time. And that's all part of leadership as well. The challenges of the job was probably number one, number two, and number three was the safety of the Peace Corps volunteer. Um, that has become more important ever. And it even escalated to when I was there uh, in this day and age. So, but, but that's, you know, you really have to make sure you have the right people in the right jobs, overlooking, overseeing, uh, making, keeping track of the safety of the volunteer. Uh, it's a very different world out there today than it was when I was abroad. So that's the, that's one of them. Uh, the other one, of course, is to um, stay in close touch with the field. I feel so strongly about that and really know what's going on out there as much as possible. And that's why you travel so much as a director of the Peace Corps, is to stay in touch with the, with the real world. And then in, in, along with that part of it is um, the growth of the Peace Corps. The demand for volunteers when I was director was, was very strong. And it's gotten stronger, by the way. It's stronger today than probably ever. Uh, the demand for volunteers, the request for volunteers. I had literally tw I had 21 formal requests on my desk when I left the Peace Corps uh, in 2009 for new Peace Corps programs. Some of these are countries we had been in. Some of them uh, were, were countries you've never been in. And, and then some was just the growth of where you were. So the challenge of growth, uh, which means more money. I spent, I don't know, 15 or 20% of my time up in the hill and up there, you know, you, you can't go ask for money. That's not uh, apropos to what you're doing, but you do need to tell the story and sit down with people, senators and congressmen, congress people, and tell the story to encourage, uh, you know, when it comes budget time, 
maybe we could get a little more money. And then, of course, uh, you know, there's a way you so you're telling the story and all the effectiveness of what the Americans are doing abroad and what they're bringing home and all of that kind of uh, information. And that's that's a fun job. Uh, love telling the story, and it's fun to meet uh, the many people that you and I met uh, uh, when we were up there for one day. Uh, and I did that for innumerable days, I guess, uh, while I was director. So that's one of the opportunities and challenges. And, and the Peace Corps has grown. Um, uh, the, the, today, the demand is even more so than it was when I was there. Uh, we have uh, we need more money, um, even though the budget today at 410 million. When I was director, it was 330 million. So that has grown properly, but too slow in our minds because we all have more opportunities than dollars to fulfill those opportunities. So that's one of the challenges of the director and the team is to keep the story going, and I think that has helped bring in. The support the funding of the Peace Corps. Now, it's been flat the last two years, but a lot of foreign exchange, foreign affairs budgets have been cut. So we feel like that was a big victory. Part of the work that you and I did that day with the, with those other teams, and it's been done again one time since then, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's part of it. Um, and you know, every day there's new things. There's people stopping in. I mean, many ambassadors stop in to the Peace Corps to visit with the director or whomever about either coming or adding or you know something of that nature, or just thinking. Many of them have come and say we really appreciate serving in our country, and you know those kinds of uh, events. So it's just endless. Uh, but, you know, the biggest, oh, the, the other thing you asked was what were my initiatives? And uh, I, I was, I thought a lot about that before I got the job because I knew that, you know, you have a kind of a narrow time frame in three years or whatever it might be. And you can only do so much in that period of time. Uh, so I went with a, a couple of major initiatives. One was what we ended up calling 50 plus, and that was to encourage people over the age of 50 uh, to think about becoming Peace Corps volunteers. It's not limited to young people. And a lot of people still have that perception. I can't tell you how many times I've been said, oh, I thought it was just for the college graduates or whatever. And and we had some real not only fun with that, but success with that as well. Now, the reason I, one of the reasons I did that is in the financial business, uh, we followed demographics very closely because we, you know, we needed, in order to grow the financial uh, business, you need to be dealing with people that have income, retirement plans, and all that kind of thing. And the baby boomers were just coming into, coming near the retirement years. And I thought, wow. What think about people that have been in their careers thirty years, and what they could bring to the table uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer using some of those career skills abroad, and and uh, you know it's just it's irreplaceable. I don't care how well they train us. Uh, so I thought it would bring a really dramatically uh, positive uh, direction to what the Peace Corps volunteers are doing, and I think that's been. Uh, been met that does happen that was agreed upon that really is an important part of 50 plus initiative so that was probably my biggest push Uh, the other one was financial management Uh, i come from uh, we were a fortune 500 company so we knew what reporting to the sec was all about and how they look at our finances and the responsibility as a as dealing with public ownership of your company, you got to be accountable for the finances so that if you, so you make money so the stock goes up. Well, uh, we also have a budget to run in, in, in the federal government. The only thing is we don't have, we do know how much the revenue is going to be from day one. So we have to really be disciplined in how we deploy those funds and how we take care of them and how we follow through, make sure that everything is done properly. So I put a big, uh, major push on financial accountability. And we had tremendous success with that. We get audited every year by an outside auditors, and we had two straight years of absolutely no notations from the auditor of things we needed to improve. So we did accomplish that. 
which I'm real pl- proud of and pleased with as well. And then the rest is just the continuing growth and the nurturing of the Peace Corps around the world and uh, supporting the volunteers and also when they come back that they they have opportunities uh, and a lot of a lot of returned volunteers as you know work for the government uh, or in the foreign affairs and, and so on so it's a, it's a you know there's a lot of things you can do to help keep promoting that and moving that forward and that's kind of a quick overview of what <laughs> I had to do as director <laughs> well it definitely definitely yeah. sounds like it is a lot sounds like you did a lot but I have to imagine that you know being director of the Peace Corps, it definitely has mm-hmm. to be has to be a lot of fun. I mean, you you get to be it it, to be in one of the the coolest positions in the government. Everybody everybody likes the Peace Corps. Uh, you're not in one of those agencies that's contentious and uh, right. sort of prone to bipartisan swings. What what was one of the most fun things that you got to do as administrator? Hmm. To travel to see the volunteers is probably number one on my list. So, I mean, that Nancy and my Nancy traveled with me a lot because uh, she was a volunteer too, and that was really a, really fun uh, to see the volunteers. Uh, Nancy would you know go out when I was in diplomatic meetings or whatever, uh, touring uh, volunteers and chatting with them, and you know the same kind of thing that the director did, quite frankly. So that was you know really really a lot of fun. There's lots of things that came with the job that I didn't even think to know one I never knew, you know, for example, uh, giving commencement addresses. Well, I, you know, I started in September and immediately I had commencement addresses requests on my desk. Well, Oh, what's this all about? Well, that's, you know, one, you know, there's a lot of the colleges. Well, one of the people they like to have is a director of the Peace Corps for a lot of obvious reasons. So that was another fun job, fun part of it, to go around the College of Charleston or uh, Florida, what was that, brand new Florida University, and various places like that. I don't know how many I gave, probably. You can only give so many, you know, uh, at the graduation (laughs) calendar. So probably you could give a dozen, something in that nature, in uh, two full years that I was serving, you know, during that period of time. And then um, things like a White House dinner, White House events. I mean, uh, a lot of people take that for granted, but boy, I didn't. I thought this is really special to be you know, walk into the West Wing and have lunch in the in the dining room there, or you know, go to a, an event that the president is leading, or you know, whatever. So that was also really, really uh, a lot of fun. And it is uh, Mark Guerin, who was the director. Uh, that was Clinton's uh, director of communication. And when that job opened, he went to the president and said, I want that job. And um, when, <laughs> when I was talking with him, when he, he, I think we were having lunch together, actually. I said, why did you do that? He said, Ron, it's the best job in Washington. <laughs> you have almost no enemies. You know, it's it's bipartisan. You don't really think a lot about partisanship. When I went up to the Hill, I hardly paid any attention to that. I was to, to I wanted to talk to the person that was in charge of giving us the money, <laughs> and, you know, that, all that kind of thing. So that part of the, it, it is a, you are welcomed almost anywhere, you know, whether it's in Washington or certainly around the world. And and so that was a really uh, fun part of the job, if you will. Uh, and there are many, many others. You're watching the, when you go out there and visit, oh, let's say, I was visiting a half a dozen volunteers, you know, at a given day, and you'd see all the unique things they're doing, some right within their job assignment, but many times outside of that boundary. There's no boundary, actually, but outside of the specific job to other things in the community that they get involved in. And it was just so encouraging and fulfilling to see the impact that they're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting energized just hearing about all the, the fun aspects <laughs> of, of serving as administrator of Peace Corps. Uh, yeah. But then opposite of that, you know, there are difficulties uh, that you get placed in as being administrator. And we actually talked about yeah. one of them uh, when we were sitting at the table together just back and forth. And you talked about... Uh-huh. Uh, having to call the parents 
of a volunteer that had had passed away, and I believe at that time you said that they, you know that was the hardest thing you ever had to do as the and administrator. That hasn't changed. Yeah, and can, that, can you, and that hasn't changed. That, can I what? Excuse can you, me. Yeah, t- tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's one of the things you don't think about when you take the job, but uh, it happens. I mean, you know, if you look on the wall at the Peace Corps, they have a, a wall of that. And as you look at the years, it's pretty consistent, you know, uh, because look, our volunteers, there's 7,200 of them right now. Um, and they're walking across the streets. They're riding in taxi cabs. They're doing all the things that injuries can take place. And many, much of it is that. And to then have to make that phone call. And um, I had to five times. Uh, when I was as I was director, and it is just the most difficult thing you, you can even imagine. Uh, you're going to call people at night, oftentimes. Uh, my first one was at three in the morning, and the family, the mother, and the husband and wife that I called. Uh, first of all, I didn't believe it. I thought it was a hoax, and they made me verify that it was true. So we had a way to do that, and. Uh, you know, they were, it was an only child and, you know, there's a story around every one of these and it was a crazy accident. I mean, it was just nothing you could have ever thought about. Uh, a tree branch fell on him, uh, uh, while they were trying to clean up a schoolyard and, uh, it actually killed him and one of the local people. Um, you know, it, it it goes on and on, but that is difficult. It, it, it has to be done, and I would go to the funerals and, you know, all the things you you really must do. Um, and most of them are very appreciative and thankful for uh, the care that their, their child was given and ultimately, um, you know, the funeral and so on. So that's a hard one. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't can't even imagine. Yeah, no, I I don't even like to think about it. <laughs> but uh, it is it's reality. There's just nothing to, nothing to do about that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. And was there ever something that you you wanted to do as administrator that you just you you weren't able to do? Maybe it wasn't. Uh, you know, economically feasible. It uh, probably wasn't that it was not necessarily uh, politically expedient because you you did have the 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 nice uh, yeah. role role of being you know Peace Corps. Everybody likes Peace Corps. But yeah. was there was there something that you wanted to do that just it never happened? Yep. Yes, there was. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even. Um, I'm not gonna tell anyone where this was. But there was a, a country that I felt we should not be in any longer. And, um, I, I, you know, you, you see, you know, it, the ballpark is three to $5 million a year to run a program in a country. So you saw that you can see, you know, the money that is taken that could be used elsewhere much more effectively, but for, I guess you, I'd call it political reasons. I was informed that I really should not do that, uh, for, you know, what other reasons. Uh, and I ran into two, three of those. Uh, probably none quite as clear in my mind as this one that I'm thinking of. So that that would be one. The other one, and they're all kind of around, built around money, by the way, is uh, to open programs or expand programs. And I can't tell you how many requests I had when I would visit a country. I'll tell you one story. Uh, Mongolia. And I was sitting with President Udenbecker, uh, and uh, we were just having a delightful visit, and he said, Mr. Director, I want more volunteers. Not an unusual request, so I, I respond. You know, I said, That's, thank you. It's a, you know, an honor for you to hear that. Uh, we need to understand a little more of the details of what you'd want and why and when and you know, all of those things. And we were talking about all that. I said, Mr. Director or Mr. President, How'd you come up? He's, oh, he said, I want 333 volunteers. We had about 140 in the country at the time. So I finally said, how did you come up with that number, 333? And I thought it might have been some auspicious number or something. But no, he said, I have 333 districts, the equivalent of a county 
in Mongolia, and I won a volunteer in every one of those districts. <laughs> so you know, it was it was just it was awesome. You know, the feeling of the desire and the appreciation and the respect and all the things that went back and forth as we talked about that. I don't think we ever were able financially to fulfill it, but I think we grew the program some. Uh, Even to this day, it's going quite well. Um, So that's one story. But I got many requests of similarity, not quite that specific. So not being able to respond to that as quickly as you'd like is is was a real challenge for me because I like growth. I was in the growth business, <laughs> and uh, and I and I saw the potential and the opportunities. And sometimes you just can't do it because there isn't enough money there. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, and and I don't think it's any different today. I I've spoken with Jody Olson, the current director. She was my deputy director, so um, she and I talk quite frequently and. Uh, she's doing awesome, uh, but she has she has the same uh, issues today. Uh, so it, it hasn't changed, but it's still uh, an awesome program. Uh, 55, 57 years old now. 230,000 returned volunteers. Um, we've been in 100, I think it's 141 countries. We're in 70. No, we're in 60 today. 60, 65, something like that. Now, I'll give you one more statistic from back in the early days when Nancy and I were volunteers in India in 1967. There were 1,500, 1,500 volunteers, Peace Corps volunteers in India at that time. There were 15,000 in the world. So India, wow. our program in India was 10% of the total, but the total was over double what it is today or what it has been you know, in the last... 10 years or so. So, uh, you know, it it, it probably grew too fast back then. Um, Mm -hmm. But certainly now the the uniquenesses of the opportunities are even vaster and probably higher levels of expertise. I know that's the case. So the challenges and opportunities are definitely there even today. And I hope we as Americans will continue to do what the Peace Corps does with as much as we can afford around the world on, a, on you know, on an ongoing basis. So that's my story. I'm, I'm going to stick by it. <laughs> well, it is an <laughs> a- absolutely an amazing story. Thank you for taking time to share it with me. Uh, in in closing, as we we wrap up the, this interview and this conversation, which I I definitely hope it's not going to be the last time uh, that that we we talk and I have an opportunity sure. to to you know hang out with you because uh, I definitely yeah. enjoy enjoy hearing about your experience. But do you have any parting words that you want to say to the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast, uh, which are people who are looking into the Peace Corps? I have tons of people who write yeah. me who say uh, that this podcast, you know, has helped them understand the Peace Corps. I've got a lot of people uh-huh. who are who are current volunteers who listen to this Peace Corps and hear the stories of other people halfway around the globe that are going through the same things that they're going through, and then return volunteers who use this podcast as a way to, to stay connected to their service in the Peace Corps yeah. community. So that, so that yeah. is your audience. What do you have to say to them? Well, I, I guess what first comes to mind is, as I look back and think back about it, it first was a, com- a complete honor to be a Peace Corps volunteer. And that's kind of how Nancy and I viewed it at the time. I mean, what an opportunity to learn about these cultures, to make friends, to help them. And we have those friends yet today, 50 some years later, 50 years later. So what an honor that was. What an honor it was to be involved with kind of the movement of growth of the National Peace Corps Association, because that was kind of the era that it came came out of all these challenges it had and really formed a unit that was going to function and it's stronger today than it's ever been. So it was an honor to do that. And then obviously a complete honor to have the opportunity to be the director. Not something that was ever on my on my list uh until I got that had that question posed to me. And then I said yes and then it uh, fortunately worked out in a way that uh 
uh, I couldn't even have guessed. And so stay with it in whatever stage you are. If you're looking at it, join it, uh, please. Uh, if you're there, thank you. Uh, and if you're back here, stay with it. And uh, because we, our responsibility is to bring that back home. And that's why I still talk to Rotary Clubs, by the way, because they, they understand. They, they have value systems that we as volunteers often had most of the time. And I love to share with them what's happening out there and also to challenge them to figure out ways to help it. And, and so uh, that's why I still love to do, particular, in particular, Rotary Clubs. So I thank you very much. It's been an honor to share these thoughts. And uh, I will look, uh, listen, and wait for the podcast. Well, well, Ron, the honor and pleasure has been all mine. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this, and I definitely think the listeners are going to enjoy it as well. Uh, I cannot say thank you enough. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Core Story podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you get a new episode every single Tuesday when I release them. If you are a current or return Peace Corps volunteer, or you know a current or return Peace Corps volunteer who has a story worth telling, which I personally feel that they all are, please head on over to my Peace Corps Story podcast, find one of those links to share your story, click the button, fill out the form, and let me know a little bit about yourself. If you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. And until next time, remember, every Peace Corps volunteer has a story. What's yours?